Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 95. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. We have a very special guest on the show today. Andrea Jung is the CEO of Grameen America. Prior to that, though, she was the CEO of Avon, a Fortune 500 company, publicly traded company. She is currently as well on the board of General Electric, a position she has held for 19 years. And she's also on the board of Apple, a position she's held since uh, January 2008, over nine years now. So she's clearly one of the leaders in business in this country, and she has chosen to work now for the nonprofit side of things, Grameen America, which is an offshoot of Grameen Bank, which was started by Mohammed Yunus, the Nobel Peace Prize winner. And we talk today a lot about the work that they're doing with Grameen Bank, why it's important, how effective it is and what their potential is for the future. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thank you, Peter. Nice to be here with you. Okay, so let's let's get started. You've you've had quite an interesting career. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself before you came to Grameen? Sure. Yes, I I think my background has been, you know, an interesting journey all the way here to Grameen. I I spent the lion's share of my career on the for-profit side of the equation and mm-hmm. mostly in you know strategy and marketing i i uh, was in retailing in the early part of my career and and went to avon in 19 the very late part of 1993 1994 where i started off as a mid-level you know executive in in marketing and strategy in the us division and grew through the ranks to become the first woman ceo there in 19 19- 99 and was able to have the privilege of running, you know, this Fortune 300 company for 13 years and I stayed until uh 5 years ago in 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 2012 and had the opportunity to uh you know be public company CEO one of a few women leaders who had the opportunity to run in in our case an enterprise devoted to promoting entrepreneurship for women right in you know hundreds of countries plus Mm-hmm. So, so then you moved straight from Avon to Grameen, is that right? And and, and what, why did you just? What was the reason for joining Grameen? So I would say straight would be uh, missing sort of a little bit of the real deliberation in my life about <laughs> how I wanted to take on the next chapter. Um, right. I had a tremendous passion for women's entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. At, at Avon, we had you know again millions of low income self-made entrepreneurs who, who really found the alternative and an opportunity to, and I, I saw firsthand the opportunity to change women's lives in countries all over the world through the ability to be and te- be taught to be entrepreneurs. So that always was something that had great power to me. And I saw that they did not only impacted their own lives and their own businesses, but that had a you know, tandem impact on their families and the community. So I've been a big believer in women's entrepreneurship and so in the period of time before I joined Grameen, I you know, knew that I wanted to do something to give back. I knew that I wanted to be involved in social good, 
but importantly for me, I really didn't want to work just for, when I say this, I, I say it with a tremendous amount of respect when I say a tri- typical nonprofit, but uh, I mean, there are many, many incredible nonprofit organizations, but most of them are not sustainable. So mm-hmm. they don't have an economic model that can in fact self-sustain. And I have always believed in, you know, social impact models and social businesses that actually have a sustainable, scalable model and they're hard to find. And so when I had the opportunity to um, talk to Muhammad Yunus in 2013 about uh, really scaling microfinance in the United States, it was a collision of, you know, my passion for women's entrepreneurship that I had spent, you know, two decades on with Avon, but also my deep belief that financial inclusion and the ability to access capital, if it could be done in a scalable, sustainable model, would really solve one of the big national issues that's in front of us. So that is why I decided to join Green America. Okay. So then let's just talk a bit about the model because I don't, I know that, uh, you know, I didn't know about how the model worked until fairly recently. So why don't you go through and just describe how Green America works? Absolutely. So how Green America works is that we are a an organization that gives non-recourse loans to women in poverty in the United States. And so we are the fastest growing microfinance organization aimed to offer financial inclusion. So we give access to the loan capital itself for entrepreneurs. We help them asset build, meaning we, while we are not a bank, we help them partner with a financial institution whereby they can save money every week because we think asset building is important. And then very importantly, we also think that credit building is important. So we partner with several credit agencies to make sure they have a nationally reported credit score and and build a record of positive credit for themselves as well. So if you are a Grameen America member uh, and you join us within the first six months of the program, you can get your first access to a loan for your business. You can also open a savings account, a concessionary savings account, a no-fee account where you can save every week. And at the end of that six-month first loan cycle, if you've had perfect repayment history on that loan, you can have a credit score that is, you know, in that 670 range, which by any standard is very respectable. So, you know, we feel that those are are pretty great takeaways after just even six months of being in the program for women defined as in poverty in the United States. Right. And it's interesting that, you know, I mean, like most, everyone knows Muhammad Yunus, obviously, and the work he's done internationally and, you know, starting off in Bangladesh. So I'm just curious then, is is your model the same that um, Muhammad Yunus really started in, in the 1970s? Well, if it's not, how how is it different? Well, I would say that the structural mission is very similar to the original Green Bank in that we believe in social capital and having groups of women getting together, offering sort of peer groups. They are not combined loans, so you're not being, you know, one of five women doing the same business with one joint loan. You have your own individual loan, but you are getting together in groups and in centers with other peer entrepreneurs every week. And that that mentorship and that sharing is very much part of the alchemy of the Grameen model. That's very similar to Bangladesh. What are different are, I would say, what are the kind of unique country differences in the United States? The size of the loans are different. 
mm-hmm. obviously given given sort of the, the you know the average income et cetera in this nation so our, our loan sizes are larger than the average of the, the the bank in Bangladesh we are actually not a bank uh, the Grameen Bank itself is is a certified financial institution, so they take the deposits and the savings accounts are are actually managed by themselves. We are not a bank; we are in a 501c3, so we cannot take deposits. So our savings are just done as a service by partnering with great bank partners like Citibank or Capital One, okay, Wells Fargo, um, and then we, which I think is pretty specific to the United States, have, have a you know, big importance in our program on building credit, you know, and having a credit score, which is a, a very uniquely U.S. thing that is different than in Bangladesh. Uh-huh. Sure. sure. So, so then- the asset building and the credit building are done slightly differently. The loan sizes are different. And, but, but, but the fundamental structure of the model is fairly closely replicated. Uh-huh. And I think that's the beauty of it, Peter, is that, you know, a lot of people know the, the extraordinary story of the Grameen Bank and the Nobel Prize awarded to to Professor Yunus as well as the Grameen Bank for the very counterintuitive thought by lending very small non-recourse loans to the poorest of the poor who technically would be the biggest risk had yielded sort of the highest repayment rates um, and that was the poorest country on earth and I, I think that what is wonderful is that sort of in the reverse innovation theory that uh, that an opportunity to really address poverty alleviation could really come off a model from the poorest country to mm-hmm. what's arguably still the richest nation in the world. Right, right. So I, I'm curious how, about the, the your your core customer here. Obviously, it's a, a you know female entrepreneur, but like yes, a, I mean we go ahead. Well, I so say where like I guess how do you find them? And I know you, you have this sort of group model where you you have like yes. five five women together. How they are finding us in droves. Okay. Uh, we yes, our core our core borrower for Grameen and our, our our members are women that live at or below the poverty level in the United States who've got entrepreneurial drive to either continue to grow a business or start a business. Many of them come there. They already have entrepreneurial endeavors, but they are not included in the financial system. So they're not able to get a loan from the formal capital markets. Uh, And some of them don't have a business yet, but this encourages them to be entrepreneurial as opposed to going to get a, you know, minimum wage job. So obviously, that is a large percent of women, we, you know, in the United States that have this this opportunity. That 43 million people live in poverty in the United States. Women are disproportionately affected, and from a financial inclusion point of view, you know, only four percent of monies given out to entrepreneurship are given to women in the United States last year, which is pretty daunting statistic in a country like ours. So we are, you know, extraordinarily passionate about being able to resolve this inequality issue on the lending front and make sure that they have access to capital. Hmm. They find us through a variety of ways, but I would say it is a very, very high social capital model with word of mouth. We have loan officers who we call center managers in every city associated with all of our branch operations who find groups of women, whether it is in their churches, in their community, you know, in the neighborhood, and they, they come together. And very quickly, you know, once we get a few hundred members, the word of mouth is so strong because, you know, I have branch locations now out in Jackson Heights, Queens, for example, where almost every other storefront, if you go along some of the major avenues in, in that community, 
those store owners and entrepreneurs have gotten a Grameen loan and clearly share that with each other and bring others into the program. Mm -hmm. So, yes, so this brings up a good point. Like, what are the typical businesses that these women, are are they retail businesses? I mean, what what are they that they're actually taking Uh, They really split between products and services. So we have businesses, typical businesses on the service side would be, you know, food services, Mm -hmm. catering services, salon services, hairdressing, cleaning services. So, you know, we do have a lot of, of members who participate in the service economy. We also have, you know, a great deal of participation in product sales, dress shops, selling jewelry, you know, lot, lots of people who have storefronts, you know, food services, which range from food carts all the way up to, you know, restaurants with several employees. This is what you're going to see within the Grameen membership. Mm, okay. So, so, you know, it's interesting, you, you talk about oftentimes these, these women want to start a business and haven't. And, you know, it's one of the, the, the tough things. I mean, most people, you know, who are not below the poverty line go, they start a business and they get money from friends and family or from their own savings. And obviously for the, a lot of these women, that's not possible. But the, the reality is this is, the, you would think it's a very high risk proposition to give someone a loan to start a company. It's a first time entrepreneur. I mean, you'd never get that from, from on deck or funding circle or any of the other major online lenders here. So I guess, I mean, I'm curious to know, well, let's just firstly talk about, like, do you give anyone a loan or what kind of process do you go through to decide whether or not someone gets a loan? Yes. And so the answer is no, we don't give anyone a loan. But what our underwriting uh, thought process is, I think, is, is innovative and different, and which is what I feel the magic of the program. It is less important what business they are in which may not be the case with your traditional underwriting, than their commitment to discipline. So in order to get a loan from Grameen, you have to participate for a full week coming to get some basic financial training and learning about the program. By definition, if you cannot invest that time before you get the loan, we make the assessment that you're going to be a higher risk because time investment and discipline is been the key for this member to being successful more than anything else. It is less important whether she's a flower shop owner or has a food cart than that she understands the discipline of what it takes to be a micro entrepreneur mm-hmm. in the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. Secondly, she has to attend a meeting every single week. So at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning before she opens her flower shop or goes and opens her restaurant, she is attending a meeting with approximately 25 to 30 other entrepreneurs in her community and they share and that peer pressure, peer mentorship and peer sharing is a very big component and they meet their loan officer at that meeting every single week. That sense of social belonging and camaraderie and mentorship is really the glue that takes the percentage of underwriting versus relationship and flips it upside down. We spend less time on the underwriting and all of our time on the relationship. The decision to give you $2,000 is far less important than the time spent with you after I give you that $2,000 to make sure you A, pay it back and B, know how to use that loan. And I think that's the difference because at the end of the day, 
you know, I do think that there are a lot of organizations and software programs that spend so much time on the front end where the disbursement of that loan or the decision to grant that loan is at the end of the process. For us, it's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the default rate, in my mind, rides wholly on the fact, which I think most people would kill for, on the fact that that relationship is so strong, there's such gratitude, and the relationship begins the day, not ends the day we finish the underwriting process. Right, right. So let's just talk about that default rate. Can you share what your actual, your actual default Absolutely. rate is? Absolutely. I mean, I can actually tell you that we've dispersed over $620 million of loan capital and written off less than $750,000. So that, you know, the, you know, the default rate is, is so infinitesimal, 0.3%. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's... I mean, and and over over nine years, you know, over a large portfolio, Mm -hmm. over 13 cities. So we don't think this is sort of a one-off that is unusual, but might not be replicated. You know, Charlotte, North Carolina is very different than East LA is very different than Harlem. And in every single case, we're seeing the same thing. And that is because of the, uh, the power and their relationship with that loan officer and the discipline of the system. Right. Yeah, I know. And, and, I mean, there are plenty of uh, small business lenders that have default rates 50 times that. And, uh, yeah. and uh, that they certainly would, uh, would kill so that, us. That, that's the beauty of it. And again, I think that, that is, you know, the essence of the Nobel Prize that has now proven itself out in a very, very different set of circumstances in the first world, which is trust, loyalty, and gratitude, and a consistent discipline have everything to do with the success of repayment that other, you know, traditional factors prior can't capture. Mm-hmm. There's no possible way to capture that. Right, right. So this is just what what you say. You've talked about like fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars. When what are the loan terms? Are they six month loans, a year? I mean, what are the, what's the what's the interest rate? Ninety ninety five percent of our loans are at six months. Um, okay. So it, it, now I would just say it, just call it a hundred percent. We started off with some loans that were longer, but but over time, uh, we found that the sweet spot is a 26-week loan. People want them for six months. Mm -hmm. The interest rate is 18% on a declining balance. So essentially, because they're six-month loans, you know, you're paying a little less than 10%. But the APR itself is 18%, which we think is certainly from a microfinance organization. If you look at a lot of other lending institutions, a very, very fair and affordable interest rate. And that is a standard loan that starts no higher than $1,500 on your first cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have loans well up over $10,000 for members who have been there with us for many years and who've got established businesses who've got perfect credit and perfect discipline with the program. Right. So I have members who've taken up, you know, $100,000, to $100,000 in cumulative loans, but they've been small loans six months at a time with um, the discipline required at every cycle to ensure they stay, you know, within the boundaries of good credit discipline. Mm-hmm. Are these are, are these like monthly repayment loans? Um, weekly. They are we- weekly repayment okay. loans, which they- I think is, is part of, you know, what some people get awed by. Uh, we found it to be an extraordinary continued measure of, of discipline and, social connection. There are members who don't want to miss that meeting because they see their their friends, their peers, they learn. Entrepreneurship is hard. Right. 
Yep. We've had people start off, uh, you know, with one kind of business and through the learnings from others switch to, so, you know, for us, it's not about, you know, you write a Harvard Business School type of plan for, you know, business X where you're going to buy a sewing. I mean, it may not work out, but the ability to learn from others and switch to a different kind of business it comes from each other more than it comes from us. And therein lies the beauty of the program. Right, right. So I want to talk a bit about scale because it's like you're running an offline business for the most part here. And it does seem to rely you said you're on people on the ground. So how are you able to scale this? And what, what is your view on, on scale? You know, I think we have hit a very fascinating sweet spot where we're fairly efficient. We've got... 120 loan officers that, you know, take 2.5 million repayments a year. So we would consider that, you know, a wow in terms of efficiency per employee. Our, our average uh, loan officer can handle up to 450. I've seen as many as over 500 members per loan officer. And that relationship, as as I mentioned, is why we know we have this kind of almost perfect repayment rate. So for us, we are poised even within our existing footprint to serve over 170,000 women by 2019. We will have a portfolio outstanding of over $100 million and program from inception through our 10th anniversary in 2018, we will disperse about a billion dollars of loan capital. We call that scale. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to do it with the high-touch piece of the equation intact. We've used technology, and I, I mentioned this at the Lended Conference yep. this week. We, we, we've used it to scale. The infrastructure and the cost of entry for us required technology in order to support the number of cities, the number of transactions. We are low-ticket, you know, low loan size, frequent repayment, and so that is volume with a capital V. In order to support that volume, we needed the systems and the administration to be pretty seamless. And so the investment in technology was really to enable what I would call the platform for scale. But the platform for success was that the technology allowed the human capital and our loan officers to spend all their time on the relationship as opposed to the administration. And therefore, that loyalty and them, their ability to know, you know, where every single person's businesses and their kids, and if they were sick with the flu, that that magic happens because technology has freed up our loan officers from the, you know, weekly repayment administration of, you know, making sure that the, the you know, sixty-three dollars and one hundred twenty dollars was collected times four hundred and fifty people. Right. Well, I remember you you, you shared, um, at Lend it that you know you had you gave the story about it where it used to people used to come in and give you give you twenty dollar bills and one dollar yes, bills. Absolutely. And uh, now you say it's 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 now you've 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 now moved away from the cash based model. Absolutely. Right. I mean again, not you know, as as a a burgeoning non profit organization, we needed to rely on partners. We didn't have an endless IT budget Right. Etc. But we have had extraordinary support in in terms of partnering for cloud-based lending platforms with Mambu, with um, you know major financial institution partners like Citi and Mastercard, who've helped us go from dispersing checks every week where they go and cash those checks across the street at a bank 
to being able to have a, a card essentially where they can, you know, essentially buy their inventory and, and business expenses without having to manage that in cash. So I think that the concept of the, you know, cashless and mobile banking world has definitively come to those low income members who we think having access to technology and tools is as important for their lives, not just their, their small businesses. And this is something that we're offering as well, is mm-hmm. education on the power of, of a smartphone. Right. So I, I want to talk just a little bit about your, like the actual the revenue model. I mean, obviously, you're making money off the, off the interest yep. that pays that can pay for your expense. I mean, what about your funding? I mean, are you, you obviously, you know, you have donations, I'm sure, but do you get? Yeah. So the, the basic rev, the, the basic rev model is that it, it takes Grameen in any given location uh, approximately five years. We've done it actually faster, uh, but let's just say on average about five years to get to self-sustaining. And that is with approximately 4,000 members and mm-hmm. uh, an outstanding portfolio of about $5 million with the interest rate I talked to you about and the staff that can support those 4,000 members in our model. That's extremely replicable because we've seen now five times uh, that um, once a program ages, we can then self-sustain. Mm-hmm. And that obviously is a beautiful and incredible achievement that no other microfinance organization I know of in the United States has reached. So if we were just to sort of stay static and not expand, we could be completely self-sustainable, not just at the branch level, but at the total enterprise level, probably in the 2018, 2019 timeframe. Mm -hmm. But of course we want to expand. So the philanthropy really helps us with new cities because for the first it's it's the venture philanthropy, if you would. It's investing in a model that will turn positive and profitable, so to speak, with quotes around the profitable, because all profits will go back into the program. Right. But the funding really helps us launch and and cover operating expenses and portfolio for the first five years of the program. And that is a combination of major foundations, mm-hmm. major financial institutions, and, you know, major family foundations and, and individual donors. Uh, we do have a, another piece of the, uh, the model that's funded through friendly patient capital. So in addition to outright cash grants, we take advantage of PRIs and, you know, loans to Grameen that have very low interest rates and long tenors that we can, you know, utilize. And again, we can cycle we can cycle those loans, pay them back, but in the meantime have been able to garner the, our own income from the interest as they cycle through on a six-month cycle. So right. we, we have a, a combination of friendly debt and philanthropic grants that fuel any given operation up until about five years. Okay. So where, what are the cities, where, where are the locations that you're operating in today and where, where are you looking to expand? We have 13 cities today. We have seven branches in the New York boroughs. The New York was where we, we piloted the program in Jackson right. Heights, Queens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are now serving over almost 50,000 women in New York City, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And we are in Boston. We are in New Jersey now with two operations, one in Union City and one in Newark, which just recently opened in November. We are in North Carolina. 
We are in Texas. We are in Nebraska. We are in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we have four branches in California as well. So we're truly national. Mm-hmm. The next branch we will open is Miami, Florida, which will be some sometime in mid-2017. Okay, so then you're going to, so basically you're, you're opening up a new area like once or twice a year, it sounds like? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, so la- but before I let you go, just one last question. So what are you working on right now that, that excites you about the business? Is there any, anything new or is, it, or is it just keeping on doing what you're doing? We're working on a lot of things that excite us, you know, from, let me just start this sort of threefold. I would just say one is just expansion and geography. The second is sort of technology. And the third is just even mission-wise a program. So what we're working on that excites me um, from a geography point of view is that, you know, I think we've, it's no longer a pilot. I mean, we have a proof point that we can impact a material number of women and families in poverty through entrepreneurship and access to capital that can actually make a material dent in their pathway out of poverty as well as their ability to contribute in a major way to their neighborhoods and communities as burgeoning entrepreneurs. And I feel like we've hit an inflection point that this is a scalable national material impact. So the cities, Miami is next, but we, you know, we've, we had a very powerful piece of pro bono help done uh, with McKinsey back in, in the late 2013, early 2014 that, that helped us identify, you know, where, where this program could grow. And, uh, and I think it would be of no surprise that there are many other additional cities, whether it's Houston and Dallas, whether it's Detroit and Philadelphia and Chicago. I mean, there are so many, unfortunately, the issue of income inequality and dense poverty is, is a a national issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer that our geographic footprint is a way to really continue this scaled approach to uh, a, a, a material material impact on the issue. Secondly, from a technology point of view, I think that, you know, chapter one was how would a technology make Grameen America more efficient so that we could scale, so that the, the infrastructure would allow us to handle this many transactions. You know, the next chapter that we're working on now is really how technology can in, impact and enhance each of their businesses. If they are running, you know, a a restaurant, how does technology actually help them? How can we teach them tools? How do they understand how, you know, whether it's social media, Yelp, I mean, all the things that we can do to help them grow their businesses through the power of technology. And so it's, you know, access to technology and tools, not just for us as the organization, but for the members. That's really the next chapter that I think could be very exciting in terms of impact. And the third thing, our our other programmatic, uh, we're testing for the last year an extraordinary program that offers our members in our oldest branch, Jackson Heights, access to preventive health care and education. And we have found some really outstanding outcomes that say, you know, is there the opportunity that Grameen America not only offers financial inclusion, but some education on other services, other benefits that are needed because we know that the pathway out of poverty is, is holistic and not 
simply financial inclusion. So this opportunity to introduce them to some, you know, basic healthcare, some navigation within their community if they've got issues to free services. Uh, I, I can give you just one quick example. There are many free services for women in poverty for a lot of diagnostic screenings for cancer, mm-hmm. colorectal cancer, breast cancer, uh, cervical cancer. Again, the fear, the lack of education, and the ability of their trusted officer at Grameen to help navigate them to take advantage of these services has gotten the participation up in the high 80s and 90s uh, of, our, of some of our members to take advantage of some of these services, which is 10 and 20 points above the actual city's average goal. So this would be an example of a really powerful impact that we could expand now mm-hmm. that technology has taken sort of the administration out of our hands. How do we use that time to effectively shape and introduce our members to really beneficial services that will help them even further? Right. Well, we're out of time, but geez, that's a fantastic story, uh, Andrew. I think you, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Peter. You're really making a difference here in, uh, and I think there's, you know, we, we need, uh, we need more organizations like uh, Grameen America. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, thanks for Andrew. the time. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. I just want to go back to that 0.3% default rate. Let's just think about that for a moment. These are small business owners, sometimes with little experience in uh, underprivileged neighborhoods that I imagine no traditional lender or even online lender would even consider lending money to most of these women. And yet Grameen America is doing it and they're doing it at a default rate that is, I would argue, better than any small business lender in the country. Now, they have an offline model. I realize that it's this is not an online lending business. However, I think there's a lot we can learn. I think that what struck me is it's the, the social connections that these people make, not, not just the women with each other, but with their loan officer. That's something if we want to get in the online lending space down to that kind of default rate, we really need to to sort of duplicate this offline connection that these people have duplicated in an online way. Now, I, don't, I know there are, there are companies that are working on this, but I think, you know, Grameen America has a model that I think every online lending company should be paying attention to and seeing what can they do to actually create their business to be a little bit more like Grameen America. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.